Hello everyone, Ken here coming at you with some bonus content. Another episode was released along with this episode titled Answering Mormon Objections Part 1. And if you haven't listened to that yet, I encourage you to listen to that one first because this episode is some bonus content that's connected with that episode. Jeremy was delivering a lecture about common objections that Mormons raise to the Christian faith. And we cut that audio at the end of that lecture for that previous episode. But following that lecture was almost 30 minutes of Q&A with the audience there, and we wanted to provide that audio for you. Just as a heads up, you will not be able to hear the audience's questions, but you will be able to hear Jeremy's response, which we think will be helpful and edifying for you as we continue to think about the Mormon faith. We do encourage you to be subscribed so you will not miss part two of Jeremy's lecture, where he gives us how to respond to the objections that Mormons raise from a biblical worldview. Without any further ado, here is the bonus content of the Q&A from Answering Mormon Objections, Part 1. But I think uh, for now we'll do some Q&A time uh, on this part, is that right? Okay. So, I'll stop talking for a moment if you want to ask any questions about Mormon theology. And there are many questions that you could ask. (laughs) And I'm, I'm willing to... Try to answer any of them. Well, because the more obedient they are, the higher in the heavens they get to go. So it's really a, a selfish reason at the end of the day. Um, you know, they, they, in God's common grace, he allows even, uh, you know, the most sinful, seemingly the most sinful people among us to experience love for others and love for neighbor in his common grace. And certainly there are Mormons who just genuinely love people and want to share their religion because they think, well, this will make this person's life better or whatever. But at the end of the day, the more closely they follow the rules, the more obedient they are, the more points they get and the higher they will be exalted. So one of my favorite verses to to share with Mormons because everything they do is based on their own exaltation. One of my favorite verses is Ephesians 2.6. Uh, we know Ephesians 2.8 and 9 probably in here, but Ephesians 2.6 before that says, through our faith in the gospel, we have been, past tense, exalted with Christ. When you believe in the gospel, you are sent right to the top <laughs> and there's no higher place to go. We are joint heirs with Christ from that moment. And I like to show them that and say, it's in the past tense. What do you think of that? Uh, you know, where there's no, no other work for us to do. There's nothing left to earn. It was all given to us. We're already with Christ. And um, yeah, they, they usually don't get that one from people. So that's a good one to remember. Uh, really for anybody who thinks they're earning something from God. Ephesians 2.6, that's a good one. What other questions or thoughts? Yes, sir. Can I say it? Then the king or say that again? <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Well, you know what's funny? Uh, many Latter Day Saints don't hold tightly to the King James version as the only correct version of the Bible. I, I'd say the vast majority don't care. Again, their church only uses it because it's public domain. So a lot of them have dabbled, especially, you know, now you can go to BibleGateway.com or any of those, and you can see all the different translations you want. Many of them have, have done that. And they find value in other translations. So uh, 
that's a good point. When you're interacting with a Latter-day Saint, if that happens in your life, don't worry about using the King James only. Uh, they're not going to freak out over that like some, even some other Christians would. Uh, they, the Mormons don't tend to throw a big fit about that. So, yeah. What else? Right, yeah, that'll come up tomorrow. But yeah, they, they do deny the Trinity. And when you deny the Trinity, yet believe in Jesus, well, what, what do you believe about Jesus? And there are different paths that different wayward movements have taken. Uh, Mormonism is really a blend of different ancient heresies. They're a blend of Arianism, and they're uh, kind of tritheistic in nature. Tritheism teaches that Father, Son, and Spirit are three separate gods, uh, yet they are co-eternal, but there are three different gods. That's what tritheism teaches. Mormonism believes that, but they don't believe that each one is eternal as a person on their own. Uh, they believe in a form of Arianism, which teaches that the Father created the Son. They believe that Jesus is our brother. He's just the oldest brother. He was the first one born to Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And here we are down the line, you know, your child number I don't know, 7 billion, 652 million, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Jesus' is child number one. And Lucifer was one of those children as well. They don't believe Lucifer was an angel, a created angel, because remember their belief about angels is totally different than ours. They believe that Lucifer was also one of those children. So you are the spirit brother or sister of both Jesus and Lucifer. How does that make you feel? <laughs> So uh, we'll get into that tomorrow. We'll touch on the deity of Christ for sure. Yep. Um, they study as far as they are instructed to study. Um, <laughs> yeah, so their Sunday school class, I was talking to Tim and Carmen about this. They, they have a Sunday school program. They're given a, a teacher's manual. Someone is given the calling of being a Sunday school teacher, and uh, they get the manual each year. And year one will be the Old Testament, year two will be the New Testament, year three will be the Book of Mormon, and year four will be the Doctrine and Covenants. They will go through the entire Old Testament in one year in their Sunday school, the entire New Testament the next year, and so on. I got my hands on one of those manuals last year. Uh, they went through the New Testament last year, and uh, they did Romans in two Sundays. I know Tim's preaching through Romans right now. Can you imagine if he spent two Sundays on the 16 chapters of Romans? What will you get out of that? I mean, they did Romans 1 through, I think it was 1 through 8 the first Sunday, and then 9 through 16 the next Sunday. And I went through and looked at the study questions, because I think their Sunday school is 30 to 45 minutes. And boy, uh, they were missing all of, all of Paul's points. <laughs> they didn't have any question about the righteousness of God, which is the theme of the book of Romans. And so what we did, uh, knowing that their studies were not sufficient, is uh, particularly on that Romans, those two weeks of Romans, we did a Sunday night live stream uh, on our church's Facebook page where we said, uh, on the first Sunday, we titled it, What You Missed in Romans 1 Through 8. And, uh, and I, I was up there and just talked about Romans 1 Through 8, what they didn't hear. And then we did the same thing the next week. So they study the Book of uh, Mormon. They study the Bible, all that stuff, but even their own scriptures, they don't know them that well. They're just told what to, what questions to answer in a, in a little book, and 
Um, and, and I say this generally speaking, there are definitely Latter-day Saints out there who study deeply on these things. And I've had the opportunity to engage with several of them uh, uh, in a variety of occasions. But um, by and large, their knowledge is pretty shallow. Yeah. What else? Hey, feeling pretty good then about this you have an hour and five minutes left of babysitting so we can either uh chat here or i'll go out for ice cream or something i don't know yeah robbie <laughs> yeah it, admission is difficult on a variety of levels when it comes to uh, talking with mormons admitting uh you know probably not you won't get too many of them to admit that but i certainly believe many of them believe that. Uh, one of the most frustrating things when talking to Latter-day Saints is, you know, they're, they're human beings like everybody else, and God's common grace, again, has given them great minds, just like every other tribe or tongue in, in the world, where they're brilliant doctors and teachers and everything else. Um, and when it comes to politics, they'll, a lot of them will be free thinkers and want to talk through issues and have a diversity of opinions on those things. But when it comes to religion... Uh, by and large, again, this is a general statement, it's just kind of a shut up and do what you're told approach. So they will have some personal opinions that differ from official church doctrine on certain things, but, you know, they're not going to cause a fuss about it. They're not going to fight about it in their own church. And if they were being honest, many of them would admit it is easier just to follow the rules than to engage in those conversations. In fact, uh, Mormons have a term for those conversations they don't want to have, they call it deep doctrine. So you might find yourself talking to a Mormon one of these days, and you might want to talk about the Trinity or something very important like that. And they'll say, you know, that's just deep doctrine. And I don't think, you know, God has really equipped us to talk about those deep issues. And that's like they're out. Uh, they, they think that's sufficient for Christians. And of course, we say, no, look at the Bible. Look what God has told us. And we walk through those things. But uh, yeah, it's very, uh, very easy for them to just kind of go through the motions. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I got two thoughts in response to that. Um, one is we need to remember that their uniformity or their pristine uh, appearance, again, it's external. It is not internal. Uh, they are very good at putting on appearances. There's a, there's a phrase that statisticians like to use, numbers never lie. And the stats, when it comes to the Mormon population or the Utah population at large, which is largely LDS, obviously, uh, boy, Utah leads the nation in abusing opioids. And though the grass is cut and the fence is white and everything looks nice, there's a lot of stuff going on inside that house that people don't see. Pornography usage, Utah is right at the top. They're always in the top three on, on that. 
uh, depression and, and things of that nature, really high. Plastic surgery, very high on that list. All about appearances, uh, yet inside there are things going on that are covered up. The, the other thing, though, when it comes to passing on to generations, one of the tactics that many cults use to get a hold of families is by uh, putting some sort of spiritual obligation on the next generation. And Mormons believe that families can be eternal so long as there are no sons of perdition in the family, those who turn away from the faith. So when you're uh, talking to somebody who was raised in a Mormon context, and, and we'll really get into this tomorrow too, there's a lot on the line, not just uh, from a personal humility perspective that the person has to give up his or her pride, but that person is going to be giving up his family. The family is going to look at that person and say, you are breaking up the eternal family. And that's, uh, that's a lot of pressure on somebody. And Melissa and I have, have just recently, we were at a car dealership buying a new van and uh, talking to the financial guy behind the desk, the owner of the company had to step out. And that guy is like super Mormon. He's what we call in Utah, a Peter priesthood. <laughs> that's the nickname that those guys get. He's like right down the line, checks every box. The, the other guy though, we were left alone with him and he asked what I do, of course, you know, and that always opens the door. It's kind of nice to be a pastor in that sense. And, um, and we're starting having a conversation and I could tell some things he was saying, this guy doesn't buy it anymore. And so I started asking him some probing questions and I just straight up asked him, do you still have a testimony of the book of Mormon? And he said, no, but he's still going through all the motions because his dad is a very serious Mormon. And he was facing a little bit of a crisis because he stopped tithing in his church and when you stop tithing, you're no longer worthy. And when you're no longer worthy, you lose the priesthood. And when you lose the priesthood, you can't baptize your own kids. And he had an eight-year-old. And the baptism was coming up. Every child gets baptized at eight. And he had to ask his father to do the baptism. And then his father, of course, asked, well, what's going on? Why can't you do it? And he's just been going through the motions. And he doesn't want people to know because he would lose all of his friendships. He would lose his family. He would be the black sheep. Uh, in many ways, he would be shunned, depending on, you know, his family personality type. There are more and more Mormon families becoming liberal in that regard, where they say, it's okay, you know, the eternal family stuff, we don't know if that's true, you can be whatever you want. But in Utah, especially, there are lots who are still very traditional in that sense. And that's the reality for those guys working at car dealerships or the grocery store or wherever, they're hiding it, because mom and dad can't know. Sorry, that's a long answer, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they don't know what's going on. They just know they're getting ice cream and cake afterwards. You know, they don't know what it's about. But uh, it is a part of the gospel message. If you ask a, a Latter-day Saint, what is the gospel? That person, if he's studied a little bit, knows his own religion. I mean, there are basically some components. You need to have faith, to which we all say, okay, all right, we're good. But they don't stop there. Uh, they say you need to have faith and you need to repent. And their definition of repentance is different than ours. Um, it's a very works-based idea of not sinning anymore. That's really what they believe, that you need to commit to living a life where you're not going to do that anymore. And if you do it again, you need to kind of start over uh, their view of repentance. You also need to be baptized. That's a part of the gospel is to be baptized. 
And it has to be done by someone who has priesthood authority. It has to be uh, an authorized baptism. So none of your baptisms count, unless any of you were baptized in the Mormon church, uh, in which case I'd love to have a conversation after. But uh, um, none of your baptisms count because you didn't have a Melchizedek priesthood holder baptize you. They believe you also need to have those same priesthood holders lay hands on you for the receiving of the Holy Ghost. And then you need to persevere. Those are their five elements of the gospel. So as an eight-year-old, their doctrine teaches, it's pretty wild, their doctrine teaches that children are completely innocent until the age of eight. And all the parents said, no, amen, right? (laughs) No, that's not true. Um, But what they teach is that, um, you know, until the age of eight, God doesn't count any sins uh, against the child in any way. But if uh, if the Mormon parents don't get their children baptized at age eight, all the children's sins are on the parents' account. So from a parent's perspective, if you buy into all that, it's actually a really good thing to get them baptized to get all their sins off of you. So that way they're obligated to take care of those uh, with God, between them and God. So uh, that's their view of that, um, and that's why it's eight years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they also don't believe in immateriality. So we believe that God is spirit. John 4, 24, Jesus with the woman at the well, God is spirit and his worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't believe that uh, God is uh, made up of the same matter as us, right? Uh, That God is spirit. He's immaterial. Uh, They don't believe that immateriality exists. In fact, I debated a Mormon about a year ago on that very topic. Is God immaterial? And you can find that on on YouTube. Um, I thought it went quite well, and we got the issues laid out there. But uh, they don't believe that the Holy Ghost is immaterial either. They believe the Holy Ghost is made up of what is called spirit matter, which is still made of atoms. It's still particles, but it is finer and purer than our matter. Okay, It's just all made up. None of it makes sense, but just play along, okay? Um, spirit matter, it's finer and purer than our matter. And the, the Holy Ghost is the light of Christ, they say. He is, uh, he is like a conscience that God gives you. He, he's able to impress on your heart certain things, and He is able to be with us in the sense that His, uh, uh, what's the right way to phrase this? It's not actually Him, but it's His influence. That's the word. His influence is with us. Um, because he, uh, as a material being, is unable to actually dwell within us um, and to live in us. But his influence is around, and he um, leaves an impression on our consciences as the light of Christ. You know less now after I answered it than you did before he asked, so, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, what do you mean? The, oh, yeah. So what they believe is that after we die, we live in the spirit world. The spirit world has two, it's not really compartments because they're, you can interact with one another. The spirit world has basically two uh, paths to be on. One is spirit paradise and the other is spirit prison. They sometimes refer to spirit prison as hell. So when they say hell, you have to kind of ask what they mean by that. But they believe once you die, you're on this earth made of spirit matter. 
Uh, for instance, when Joseph Smith saw the angel Moroni, he made a note in uh, the Pearl of Great Price or his history. I can't remember where this is written, but he made a note that his feet weren't touching the ground. Okay, so just kind of like a car- the cartoons, you know, he's just floating there uh, as the spirit. And of course, Moroni was a good guy, so he was in spirit paradise. And he's on his way uh, to the celestial kingdom, which will happen after the resurrection. Um, however, some people will go into spirit prison, and that is still existing among us, but they're made of spirit matter. We just can't see them. And what happens then is uh, the, the impact of this is that many Mormons actually dabble in like necromancy kind of stuff. There's a, well, Lee and Diana Whitworth that you know, they live across the street from a cemetery and they find interesting things in that cemetery when they go walk through. People trying to communicate with the dead there in the cemetery. Like that's their home and then they roam to and fro on the earth and they come back and they can read a note. Lots of notes that are left and lots of things uh, that are even unusual by the world's standards uh, when it comes to that sort of stuff. So they very much believe that the dead are among us, that we can interact with them. And of course, that's their whole purpose of the temple. When, when you go through the temple as a Mormon, you only go through one time for yourself, the very first time. That's when you get your spirit name. That's when uh, you, know, you, get your under, you get your undergarments and you get anointed by the, uh, by the priesthood holders in the temple. You do all that for the first time for yourself. Every other time a Mormon goes to the temple, it's for a dead person. Not just the baptism aspect, but the whole ceremony. It's for a dead person. Because they believe that as these spirits are still around until the resurrection, that these spirits can then accept by proxy what the Mormons do for them in the temple. And if they accept what the Mormons have done for them in the temple, they can move from spirit prison to spirit paradise and get on the track for one of the higher kingdoms. That's the business of the temple. Goofy stuff, huh? <laughs> Pretty wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, because, well, what they, there's always an answer, all right? So <laughs> what they say is, you know, from their perspective, say, you know, you're going to the terrestrial kingdom, you're a good Bible-believing, church-going guy, you're going to the middle kingdom. That's great. So for you, the bottom kingdom is hell for you. But for the Mormon, your kingdom is hell to them. So those who are in spirit prison aren't all going to outer darkness necessarily. They are people who are just on track for one of the lesser kingdoms. That's why it's important that they go through the temple ceremony on their behalf so they can then get on track to even go to the celestial kingdom. So hell is viewed really as anything that's lesser than your track, whatever track you're on. So for the Outback Steakhouse people, McDonald's is hell. Put that on a t-shirt and see if, <laughs> see if that'll start a conversation. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. And the, the way Lee has phrased it before, and I really like this phrasing, is uh, the celestial kingdom is, is really, really nice. It's just that the shower handles break off sometimes. So that's kind of a way to, to think through it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. It's sorcery. A lot of sorcery. A lot of uh, interacting with spirits. Because, you know, when they talk about uh, interacting with spirits, I don't deny that they're interacting with spirits. I just believe there are demons involved, not people who have died and then become ghosts. 
Halloween's a big deal in Utah. Yeah, they, um, and it's becoming, seems like a pretty big deal in most parts of the country to dress up your house for Halloween. Um, but they do it a lot in Utah, a lot of Halloween decorations, like you would see Christmas decorations. And I, yeah, I believe so from a spiritual standpoint, I think so. Yeah. No, no, Christmas, they do. They go all out for Christmas. Uh, Salt Lake, you can go down there. They Temple Square always lights up. They've got big uh, productions down there, obviously not this year, but um, pretty much every year, that's a big deal, Christmas is. But uh, so is Halloween. <laughs> pretty interesting. Yes. Yep, yeah, so Jesus died and rose again. They believe that. And before he ascended to heaven, he made a trip over here to the States and uh, visited the people here. And then he, he went to heaven. Yep. Um, they do believe that. But remember, that Jesus is Satan's brother. He's not the creator of Lucifer. He's the brother of Lucifer. Now we're talking about two very different Jesuses. Evolutionist. Yep. BYU, big evolution uh, school, their science department, uh, full-on evolutionist. You know, there are still, I, my guess would be the probably over 50 crowd would be majority uh, six-day creationist, that type of view. But, uh, boy, that's, that's slipping fast. Almost as fast as, uh, you know, their views on human sexuality. Now, those are slipping too. Uh, but a lot more, uh, probably two more generations will need to die before that's official doctrine. Um, the older uh, Latter-day Saints, especially the... Um, Apostles, you know, the current pro, uh, president, Russell M. Nelson, he's 93 or 94. Um, next guys in line are 92, 90, something like that. Uh, you know, they're, they hold to a lot of traditional views. But once those guys pass away and, you know, maybe some others, then they'll start putting evolution, uh, homosexuality, all of those things will get the official stamp as being good. So, uh, yeah, their view of sin, of course, it starts after you're eight. <laughs> so that, that's part of their definition. Uh, ages one through seven, uh, there's no such thing. But, um, you know, once you're eight and older, you know, sin is really anything that disobeys any of their scriptures. Uh, they, that's what they view as sin. But they don't believe it is a part of our nature. They don't believe we're born with the sin nature. We are born neutral, totally neutral. And... Uh, that's, you know, that ties right into why they believe you can be innocent until age eight. It's at that age, then people are accountable for their sins, uh, their ways of disobeying. And not only do they have the Bible to look at for ways to disobey, but they have all their additional scriptures. And uh, that's a good route to go with a, with a Mormon is to say, have, have you been faithful in your laws, not just mine <laughs> that are in the Bible, but yours, all these extra rules you haven't been perfect in all these things. You fall short every moment of every day. There's so many to keep track of. And uh, Romans 2 talks about this, how even the Gentiles have their laws. They're a law to themselves. They reflect uh, that moral accountability and press into that if you get in a conversation with anybody who's added rules to Scripture. Right. 
Hmm. Yeah. Um, more and more people, and this isn't just Latter-day Saints. I think this is Americans. M- uh, more and more Americans are afraid to say anything against it. Because there's a mob waiting to crucify you if you speak out against it, right? And uh, for those who are not committed to truth, then why not? Why not affirm it? Yeah. Uh, and when you look at the history of the Mormon church, uh, things have evolved. You know, they, they're pretty famous for their polygamy, uh, but now they say that's not okay. Of course, the federal government first told them it's not okay, and then, and then Heavenly Father got around to saying it too. Um, they, they didn't allow black people in the priesthood until 1976 or 78. Okay, that's kind of late to the ball game on those issues, uh, but they changed that. And, and it's no big deal for them to change. They really are a moving target in that sense. And I think in the next 20 years, we'll see a lot of changes, uh, especially the way America's going. Uh, boy, it's either be persecuted or change. And I guess you could say change or be persecuted. And for those who aren't committed to the word of God as having the final authority, why wouldn't you change? They might hang on and be persecuted from an official standpoint, but my guess would be a lot of the lay people of the church, they, they're going to be fine changing. And the, and the tail can start to wag the dog a little bit there too. Uh, I think that happens quite a bit from the office of the 12 apostles of the church. I'm sure there are surveys that go out about the, the temperature on certain social issues. And then a few years later, God will happen to address those based on what the survey says. So that's the way I would run it. If it was just a game to me, if it was all a business to me, I would do that in a heartbeat. That's just good business, right? So, yeah. You have 43 minutes left of babysitting. What else? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think, I think we might be done, Tim. <laughs> 